everyone, welcome to Urbanus podcast. Ritis Vishnauskas Donatas Urbanus. As always, we are here to talk about some Euroleague basketball, but I will start uh, with some uh, unusual uh, intro because this morning I had a very uh, funny conversation uh, with my friend uh, from abroad and we actually talked about legendary player Aurelius Rukauskas. Just wanted to give some respect uh, for all these uh, heroes, uh, old school heroes, you know, we have a topic like zero of the week and hero of the week, and we just had a nice conversation about uh, Aurelius, who started his career at the age of 21. Uh, Neptunas coaching staff found him in the construction, in construction, working in constructions, and in his second season with Neptunas, he made a, um, a record of LKL blocks, single game record. He holds it even to this day, uh, together with Grigory Hizhniak, 11 blocks per game. And my friend uh, told another interesting story about the current player, Ahmed Duverioglu. And again, these are all only legend. Uh, this is only a legend. But uh, uh, they say in Turkey that a uh, Turkish agent uh, found him on a ferry in, in Turkey. He was around 19, 20 year old. And uh, he invited him to for some tryouts. Another FS had him in practice, and then he signed for FS. Then later he became Euroleague champion. Zhukauskas even made a better career. Uh, he he became Euroleague champion, European. Uh, he won the Eurobasket. He played in the Olympic Games. He made a fadeaway three against Tim Duncan, probably in two thousand four Olympic Games. Right? He played for Unix, uh, Ulker, Jargiris, Olympiakos. Uh, many many great uh, teams. So I just wanted to give some respect for all these uh, heroes. He was the Lithuanian Rudy Gobert. Exactly. At that time, he was an elite rim protector. You, oh my God, that 2003 Eurobasket winning team. Everyone talks about Charas, about Matsimatsi, about Shushkauskas, uh, but none of this would be possible without Aurelius Shushkauskas protecting the paint. I think at that tournament he was. Uh, a beast. His numbers were great, and if you remember the final against Spain, all of the Lithuanian players were taking fouls against Pau Gasol. Everybody tried to stop him, tried to do their best, and if not for Aurelius Zhukauskas and his sacrifices, who knows if we had this this title. Yeah, it was a great, amazing career, and I, I never knew this about Ahmed Duvirioglu. However, yeah, when, me when, neither. when you mentioned him, uh, I thought of Oscar da Silva, actually. Uh -huh. Alba Berlin's newcomer, a player that we got to know this season. Before this season, probably we did not even know who he is. If somebody would mention to me Oscar da Silva, I would imagine it's, it's a Brazilian football player, <laughs> but he is a great EuroLeague player, to be honest, from what we're seeing so far. Uh, a player who started his professional career, I believe, last spring, um, after four years in Stanford University. His father was a professional boxer. His father was Brazilian. And what strikes me the most is that Oscar da Silva fluently speaks six languages. And he's super smart, right? Yeah. He's a very well-educated. He took some very he, tough uh, He studies. majored in biology and uh. he carried out a stem cell research. Can you imagine the IQ of this team no. with Sigma and the Silva being there? No, no. They're too wow. smart for this game. For sure. Yeah. So, Oscar the Silva this season is a name that now everybody knows who follows EuroLeague. 
but before you couldn't imagine that this is a great basketball player who has a great future and i believe he can go far of course he has a great body he's a fighter reads the game very well wow he can yeah he can score both from inside and outside i mean these heroes unsung heroes uh, who started from the bottom they're they're the best i think we will discuss some of them uh, during this podcast we will discuss uh, some of the main games we had last week uh, again we will have uh, fan mail uh, our top three rank uh, today we will talk about the best atmospheres i managed to uh, visit uh, through my journeys uh, following jargadis colonas or other early games uh and pretty much it right let's yeah. just start from from uh the game in milan yeah let's start from from your and it was the big tri- from your trip first of all you were there yeah, yeah it so. was a uh, unexpected trip because uh my wife is expecting expecting in a couple of weeks and uh, when i came from my last journey it was probably in milan also with uh, gitus uh, currently sitting over there I was like, it's over. I'm not going to travel before my child's birth, and later maybe I will travel again in the end of December. But unexpectedly, we got an opportunity to interview Shona Sesikavichus, and uh, it was much easier and more, uh, it, let's say it was better for me to go to Milan and to come back the next day. I couldn't afford to spend few days like we usually do during the season. And for example, Barcelona trip is much, it takes uh, much longer than Milan. It's it's easy to go to Milan from Lithuania. And I went uh, to Milan on a game day. I had an interview with uh, Sharas. It will be published on Tuesday. It was pretty good interview. He was he was very interesting as always. Uh, later that night, it was another amazing atmosphere because it was funny that it was my third game in Milan this season. I visited Milan and Mediolanum Forum more times than Jalgir Arena this year. And I'm super happy about it. The way Jalgiris plays and the way Milan plays, I mean, it's much, much better uh, choice. And the game was amazing. Milan was great. Barcelona made a great comeback. I couldn't expect them to come back in that game that way. Uh, but then Milano again uh, won the game. The atmosphere was crazy because usually, if you remember, we had few Lithuanian players, for, for example, Machulis, Kleza. And they kind of complained about the atmosphere in Milan. They compared it to something like, you know, watching the movie in in, in cinema. Uh, uh, you know, you can even hear the sound of eating popcorns or stuff like that during the game. Now it's now it's way different because this team is very inspiring. All these veterans, emotional veterans like Gigi Datome, Nicola Melli, Coach Messina is, is also very emotional. The way they play, I mean, even Giorgio Armani, who is usually... Uh, let's say not so shy, but he's pretty calm. He was like giving all these uh, fist, fist bumps after the game. I was like also, you know, waiting on the line. I was like, maybe I should try to give a fist bump, but I was okay. Let's let's stay professional. So it was it was an exciting game, and we can discuss some details of that game. Well, I believe that uh, Olympia Milano fans are actually passionate. It's a historic club. It's just that uh, the club has been going through very bad times i mean decades they, they were investing they were signing players but they were hiring wrong coaches and uh, they always had a team full of chaos and when you're not winning when you're not playing good basketball even the most loyal and passionate fans uh, get depressed at some point but now for 
for the recent years. Milano got better. Of course, last season they played in an empty arena without their fans, and I'm not that surprised. I actually know that uh, uh, Milan has some passionate basketball fans. Actually, when I was in Milan, I was uh, with a purpose to visit San Siro and see football, but I went to some small cafe, which turns out to be a basketball-themed cafe, and the waiter comes to us and and serves us coffee, and I I just ask him about basketball and stuff, and he says I'm a huge fan of of Olympia Milano, been f- been supporting the club for like 20 years or something. So there are people. It like, was near like San Siro. No, 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 no. It was somewhere in the neighborhood I was staying. Ah, it, okay. We had an Airbnb, ah. and it was just wow. very very close to us. So one morning we decided to go for coffee there, and I didn't know, but. Ah. Apparently, it wasn't basketball-themed cafe, and the waiter was a huge basketball fan. So there are people like this. But, of course, San Siro um, football, uh, actually, uh, last weekend was the Derby della Madonnina, I believe it is said, uh, the Milan Derby. So mm-hmm. basketball is sort of overshadowed, but there is tradition yes, and there yes, is passion. And getting back to the game, yeah, what was impressive, actually, that the first quarter... Definitely went uh, Messina's way. 20 points. Uh, they were getting good spot-up shots. Uh, Shadas emphasized before the game that we need to take away their spot-up shots. They're a great three-point shooting team. We have to force them shoot off the dribble. In the first quarter, Barcelona couldn't do that. Second quarter, completely different. Second quarter was low scoring. It was tough to break the defense. Uh, I believe that at this point in the game, Milan basically kept their lead because of Devon Hall, he was playing brilliant basketball uh, with his, with the ball in his hands. I actually liked the rotation of of, of the big guys uh, Messina had to offer. He he was playing with Heinz some limited minutes with with Tarzewski. Uh, then he switched to um, Mitoglu and and Meli. And I was uh, covering this game, and I I said that Nikola Mirotic will have a tough night because uh, Mitoglu and Meli both are capable of guarding him, having these long arms. Both are very smart players and and quick players. They can guard him in the perimeter. It will be tough for for Nikola Mirotic, and as as we saw, it was a difficult game for him. It he was, only scored ten points. It was also difficult for him to stay in defense because yeah. in some situations he switched on Sergio Rodriguez, and he, and he left him, him in, in, right. into his right, and yeah, he was yeah. always killing him. So it was a tough yeah. game for for Miro. Although I'm not so sure if that was the right decision to keep him until the 38th minute of the game. He, he sat on a bench for eight minutes of the fourth quarter. And this is what I I said about uh, Barcelona with Charas. They're playing this strict basketball. And if Ro- Roland Schmitz is there setting some good screens and doing a good job uh, in the paint, he stays on the court. Mirotic sits on the bench, even though you're you're watching the game and thinking, Mirotic is the best player in the EuroLeague. He has to be on the court. These are clutch minutes. So, But he went in only, as you said, less, with less than two minutes left. Something like game. that. Of course, Barcelona managed to find some weak spots in the fourth quarter. Barcelona had problems, but they started the fourth quarter well, very well with a 12-0 run. Uh, they were feeding Brandon Davis. Nigel Hayes was playing a lot from the post. Yeah. And, and it was a success at that point. Uh, 
Olympia, I believe they stopped playing team basketball. Uh, for five minutes, they couldn't score because there was no ball movement. They were not uh, getting the ball in the paint at all. They were just trying to play some one-on-one isolation basketball, which wasn't working. But this is a smart team, and no surprise that they managed to overcome these struggles and then again start playing good basketball when it matters the most. And I believe the turning point was obviously Gigi Datome's uh, three-pointer with a foul. Yeah. And uh, when you foul Gigi Datome three times shooting the basketball in a single game, you cannot expect a good result. You're just giving away cheap points. This cannot be tolerated. He was fouled twice uh, shooting a three-pointer. One time he was fouled on a jump shot from two-point distance. And those things, you know what Shadows thinks about that, that type of fouls. Oh, yeah, and he he told him told it very clearly after the game. Uh, I was waiting for the post-game interview with Rokas Jokobaitis for our Lithuanian uh, readers. And usually it, it happens like that. I mean, you wait for the locker room uh, speech. It's usually very, very short, like up to one minute. Then coach leaves for for the coaching staff uh, locker room, uh, and then he leaves for the press conference. And then players, uh, or before or after the shower, they show up, and you can have an interview. So that locker room speech took something around 20, 30 minutes, even when the Milano's uh, press officer was waiting for Charles, because usually the EuroLeague post-game press conference, the official one, starts with the away, uh, team head coach uh, statement. Um, Claudio from from Milan team uh, was waiting for Shadas for quite some time, and <laughs> Barcelona's press officer just came to say that, "Hey, listen, just uh, take Ettore Messina first because we, it will take some time." And it took some time. Uh, Barcelona pr- players had you know pizza delivery after the game, but I believe that uh, pizza was uh, cold when we had it, because it was a long, long uh, speech. I won't get it, uh, I won't tell it in details. It could be, you know, wrong. I mean, because I kind of accidentally, mm, I wasn't that harder. Yeah, because, uh, okay, I wasn't like standing behind the door of the locker room. The thing is that uh, there's a long, long, long corridor at Medellanum Forum, and usually mm, away team and the coaching staff use uh, two locker rooms. And even standing kind of in the end of that uh, tunnel, in that uh, corridor, I could almost hear everything what was uh, said. It, it was really um, hot uh, locker room speech. Charles uh, was uh, really, really angry. But you could understand the main idea of his uh, reaction in the press conference or uh, during the game, after the game. I think that he expected more from his main players. Uh, For example, from Nikola Mirotic's side, from the defensive standpoint, Nick Kalaitis sometimes was... He was... Had some good moments. He had some good moments, but sometimes he was not so focused and made some, you know... Mm, bad passes. Corey Higgins actually played a very bad game. Yeah. It, it seems like he's not Nicolas in shape so far. The decision to take a jump shot uh, at the end of the game when they were, it was still possible yeah. to come back. It was not a smart one because obviously the opposition is expecting Kalatis, is begging Kalatis to take a jump shot. 
this is the best that the defense can get. Yeah, when yeah. there's Mirotic on the court, Higgins on the court, and you can choose Nick Kaladis taking a shot from distance. And they had of plenty of time until uh, yeah, 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 the end yeah. of the so possession. It was a rushed decision. So, yeah, so, I mean, I, I can clearly understand the Charis because for me it was also strange that... Uh, I, I was surprised the way the level of the game dropped when the starters uh, came back on the court. Uh, how bad they looked before the reserves came in and uh, had that incredible run uh, to make a comeback in the end of the game. It was really nice to see all these guys like Jokobaitis, Schmitz, even La Provitola, Hayes, Davis fighting and getting the lead. Uh, but at the same time, being as a star player's as a star player, you cannot allow um, such a drop of, of, of the level of the game. And probably that was what Shadas was challeng uh, challenging uh, after the game. He was super angry, but you can probably understand him because just we had uh, just how we had an interview before the game, uh, he was telling that uh, at this point of the season, he never looked at the standings. And for him, the most important thing is the growth of the team. Yeah. And uh, for quite some time, we can remember the game in, in Tel Aviv, he doesn't see that kind of growth. And probably this is the moment when you have to step up, step in to challenge the team. Uh, he also mentioned that players always are trying to challenge him and it's always like checking the limits of, uh, of each other's. And it's normal that some conflicts occur during that uh, journey. Uh, but for him, the most important thing is the, the growth, the process. And even though the result was not bad, I mean, min minus five against the best team of the EuroLeague so far is not that bad. But the the presence of star players is not tolerated by Shara so far. I think he fully understands that right now they have six victories. It could be three or four, knowing that they won two games in overtimes. They won with the buzzer beater in Istanbul. And... Uh, yes, they're not consistent enough. They're not playing quality basketball. At In some moments, they start playing quality basketball, but these are moments. Uh, they do not last for 40 minutes for four quarters. And if you want to consistently beat teams like uh, Armani, well, you need to be very consistent. Uh, the One moment in this game that I really enjoyed was uh, Sergio Rodriguez uh, hitting the dagger off the dribble, his famous shot. Uh, at this point, Mirotic, right? uh, yeah, on, on on switch. I believe at this point, Mediolano exploded. It was boiled really. up. Really. Sergio Rodriguez. It's not like he was having a great game in numbers, but you know that when the the last possessions come, you want the ball in his hands, and he knows what to do. And this is Chacho. This is what he loves to do. He loves to close games with his uh, amazing jump shots off the dribble. Yeah, and he made some, I think he made a couple of crucial shots. Yeah. He scored only six points. It was really not the best uh, game uh, for him, but he was very important, uh, as well as uh, Luigi D'Atome. It's yeah. uh, such a pleasure to see a veteran making such a huge impact for the game. He scored 17 points, and he made all these important shots. Also, there was a very important three-pointer, a very tough three-pointer in the end of the third quarter. And also, in the end of the fourth quarter, besides that great three-and-one play, he also made some good defensive stops, even though he was attacked all game long uh, on the low post by Barcelona players, for example, Nigel Hayes. By the way, Kyle Hines made his second three-pointer of his career in EuroLeague. 
Only second. He 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 shot like a guard actually, you know. His his footwork and stuff, his preparation for that uh, last second shot was was nice. In 11 years it was his second three-pointer. He's better than and that. And you know what? Both of his three-pointers were against Barca. Okay. He hit one in Palau when he was playing for Cesca. Uh, Now he hits one in Medellano playing for Milano. And he made that crazy block. I think oh, it yeah. was against Hayes, right? Oh, yeah, it was against Hayes. And yeah. it was the moment... Get that stuff out of here. Yeah, yeah, and it was yeah. that moment when I kind of, you know, called the press officer of Milan and I was uh, asking, like, and that guy is talking about the retiring no, and stuff? No, no. He's crazy, yeah. I would also like to mention Nicolo Melli. Actually, he didn't contribute much in the scoring department. He had other tasks in this game. But he brings so much intelligence to the team... What a treasure it is that players like Nicola Melli come back from the NBA to play in Europe again. And you can see him now in Milan because uh, he was a part of Milan team, I, I want to say, like seven years ago. He was a role player. He seemed like nothing mm. special at all. Then he had his breakthrough years in Bamberg, became an elite player in Fenerbahce, and now he is one of one of the leaders, I would say, in, in the Satora Messina's team. Uh, the only question for me about Milan is, of course, now they're without Malcolm Delaney. When he comes back from injury, the rotation changes. He's a very important player. However, uh, Messina won this game with a narrow, quite narrow rotation. Some players played like four or five minutes. And I'm still not sure whether Jerian Grant and Troy Daniels are EuroLeague material. I think it's too early to talk about Troy Daniels because he had that injury and Okay, so he's coming back but I mean his decision making when he wasn't on the court he still see the NBA player in him obviously yeah. and and he still needs to learn about the EuroLeague Jerian Grant he played three minutes I'm not really sure what he brings to this team. Yeah, that's that's the main challenge for Jerian Grant uh, to prove if he he's you know he if he, he if he belongs uh, in EuroLeague basketball Uh, the thing about Troy Daniels, I think, is a bit different. Different again. Uh, maybe it's too early. And the, the feedback I've got about him, the way he's uh, stepping up, the, the way he's trying to come back, uh, the effort he gives uh, on the court and, and the practices and stuff like that, Milan is very happy about uh, him. They're very optimistic, and that's even you know that's even better for Milan. They're already seven and one. Uh, they're leading the Euroleague at the moment. Uh, and they have so much potential. I mean, with Troy Daniels, with Jerry and Grant, if not him, maybe another player it's, will it's, join it's the team. It's not Emmanuel Moody situation. They can afford to wait for Troy Daniels to get better. Yeah. It, it doesn't hurt the team. Uh, I do know that he's talented enough, for sure, because I saw him in Phoenix and Memphis. He was playing good basketball. I know that the talent is there, but uh, sometimes even talented players do not fit the <laughs> European system. This is my question. Yeah. And I, I hope it turns out to be good for Troy Daniels, but so far I'm still having some questions about these players. And uh, of course, Ettore Messina during this long season needs full rotation mm. because as you said, it's a veteran team. Now they have a good start, but 34 games, then you go to playoffs, then you want to be in the final four. So in order to be fresh and fit, you need full rotation and you need these role players to step up at some point in the season. Anyway, uh, to wrap it up, Great, great feeling to be at Mediolanum uh, Forum. If it was like a cinema uh, atmosphere before, now it's like La Scala, you know, with all the fans shouting, uh, with all that crowd being so hot, with all these emotional players, because they're 
they're not just regular players. They're not just regular personalities. But these guys like Dino Mitoglu also, he gives extra energy. Gianpaolo Ricci, he's my favorite player. Four years, he's 30-year-old rook. And four years ago, he was still playing in second Italian division and his journey was was amazing. So this team is very well t- uh, well built, uh, although they played six games at home. Yeah. So it helped a now, lot also. Now they will miss the atmosphere in Mediolan because uh, looking at the schedule, uh, five of their next six games will be away. That's another interesting challenge, you know, to, yeah. to check. Uh, and Messina said himself, he admitted. Yeah, yeah. So far we had uh, home games. We showed that we can win at home. Now it's time for us to do the same on the road. So there are some difficult road games ahead. Fenerbahce, Unix, Zenit. And we'll see how they will face this challenge. Yeah. the Another team which is facing challenges uh, is uh, CSKA Moscow. They mm-hmm. has now lost five games in a row, VTB uh, League games uh, included. Uh, and that's the longest losing streak since the season 2000-2001. And, uh, of course, it's that time of the year where when Andrei Vatutin is getting all those questions about the coach, uh, about the, you know, the team and stuff like that. I actually read a good interview. It was on a Match uh, TV uh, website. It was a good interview for the fans because the journalist was so aggressive because all these questions were like, Okay, team is not performing, so maybe it's time to fire the coach. Uh, okay, Kenneth Farid is not performing, he, so he's bad. Uh, Ceska is having uh, budget problems or something, that they're not bringing some players. Uh, there were a lot of, let's say, aggressive questions. Yeah. But the main thing, I don't know how it's for Russians. Maybe they're, you know, they're not used to their team losing five games in a row. But for us, especially after all these Sharas years, we know that we can trust the process. And Dimitris Sutudris already showed in all these recent years that you have to trust the process because in the end of the game, Ceska will be fighting for the EuroLeague title again. And I actually loved uh, Vatutin's, uh, all, all his uh, answers uh, because he emphasized that three starting five lineup players were missing because of injuries. Uh, Grigonis, Milutinov and Shengelia. Shengelia and Milutinov already playing. Grigonis maybe will play this week. It will be probably a game time decision. He also mentioned that uh, losing, you know, all these uh, injured players also impact their rotations. So some players were fatigued. It was very hard uh, to have a balanced uh, load management. Uh, And he, of course, confirmed that there are no concerns over into this uh, future. He actually... uh, he also got an, a question about Alexei Shved that, oh, Shved is not the same Shved he was in Himki. And Vatutin actually said that he likes Tseska Shveds much more than Himki's Shved. And I can totally agree with him because... Shved airballed an, a, f- a free throw in in, oh. Kaz- in Kazan. Okay. Playing against Unix. Uh-huh. I never saw Alexei Shved airball so he is broke a free throw right now, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not sure. Maybe he had like butter fingers or something. You know what? I think that Ceska did not play bad against Fenerbahce. I just want to give a lot of credit to the winners of this game. I think Fenerbahce played an amazing game. The efficiency on offense, it was top level. Mm -hmm. 55% three-point shooting, 57% two-pointers. They were going to the free-throw line a lot. And before that game, they were shooting threes only by uh, 32%. So that's a radical change. They played a great game, a complete game. In the first quarter, it was all about Devin Booker. Mm -hmm. He was dominating. He scored like 10 points in a row. He he scored first 10 points for Fenerbahce. 
and had an explosive dunk as he usually does. Uh, then Mariel Shayok had the ball in his hands and made some good good shots. It was a good game for him. Marco Guduric contributed. Then you were thinking like Nando De Colo is very passive in this game. But just wait for the fourth quarter. The fourth quarter comes, Nando De Colo does his thing. He actually killed Saska with his two three-pointers in the fourth quarter in the last minute. So it was a complete game. Jan Vesely had 17 points. He was also winning his battles against Nike Schengelia. So I don't want to talk about some crisis in Moscow. I just want to talk that Fenerbahce played as a Final Four-level team, an elite team, a great performance for everybody, and Sasha Djordjevic should be happy and he should be proud. This team was not broken by these devastating losses in, in the last seconds that they had suffered one after another. Uh, they bounced back and played a great game here in, in Megasport Arena. So Ska, for, for some moments in the game, they were ahead. They were they, It seemed like they had a control of the game. Will Clyburn was again on his LeBron James mode with 26 points. It's just that the opponents were better. Mm. It's not like Ska played bad basketball. It's just that Fenerbahce was better. That's my opinion. Yeah, they were super efficient shooting the basket. Uh, for example, that Jan Vesely made that Aurelius Rukauskas fadeaway three yes. uh, in the fourth quarter, I guess. It was a very important shot. And the most important thing was that Nando De Colo got the ball in the final possessions of the game. That was the thing which I was missing, I think, we, which we were missing, talking uh, about Fenerbahce's struggles in the end of the games. And I remember watching the game and Fener being up by three with one minute and 40 seconds to play. And I was like, not again. I just hope that Fener won't ruin <laughs> this game uh, again. And the caller got the ball in two possessions. Okay, once it was like a, his three-pointer came after good ball movement, which started with Marco Gudrich, I, I think. And he still needed to make the pump fake. Yeah, he, he made a great fake with like four seconds uh, left until the end of the possession. And before also, he had one-on-one uh, play against some big of Tseska, I don't actually remember, but he made two great three-pointers uh, to kill Tseska. So I'm super happy for Fenerbahce finally get, uh, getting out of this uh, slump in the end of the games. Under the call, only played Less than 23 minutes. He played uh, 22 minutes and, and some seconds. And yes, there was a feeling that he doesn't have the ball in his hands enough. Although Marco Guderic was great. Pierre Henry was controlling the tempo. But you were thinking, come on, De Colo is, is the best creator. He's the guy. And he just took care of, of business. Ended up with 18 points and 22 index rating. So these are his last season's numbers. I hope that this win will be like a turning point for Fenerbahce. They should go up after this one. They should start feeling better. They proved that they can play very beautiful basketball, actually. Mm. And their defense was okay. The only problem was the rebounds. Uh, I think offensive rebounds kept Saskai in the game. It's not a surprise, though. We know that Saskai is the best team. Uh, Talking about second chances, especially when they have healthy Milutinov, they're unstoppable. They're constantly getting like 18 or 20 offensive rebounds, and they got 18 in this game. In the first half, it was like the main thing. In the second half, uh, Fenerbahce got better getting the rebounds, so it led to, to to this victory 91-82 great game it was a beautiful game to watch actually oh yeah 
It was a pleasure. It, it's a pleasure uh, to watch Will Clyburn playing. And again, he was uh, super efficient in scoring the basket. He scored like 26 points, I guess. He, again, he made all yeah. these tough uh, three-pointers. And it's crazy to watch uh, this player who developed his shot uh, so significantly. For example, in his first two seasons uh, in Ulm, when he started his European career, he was scoring, uh, he was making only 27% of uh, three-pointers. In Holland, he made only 33. In Darushafaka, his first EuroLeague season, 29. And this year, he is making 39% of three-pointers. And these are not just, you know, some easy spot-up shots. He's making very, very tough uh, three-pointers. And just kudos, well, you know, for, for that guy. This is the thing about these great players, superstar players. When they are facing challenges like injuries sometimes they come back even better and will Clyburn had two difficult injuries to deal with and i believe that when he was recovering from those injuries he didn't just focus on getting his muscles back in shape he worked on his shot he worked on his game he crafted some moves he got better at three-point shooting it's amazing really he's the best small forward in the league for a reason However, in, in these moments, you start thinking about Saska and their guards, Ifel Lundberg, not consistent, Alexis Schwed. Sometimes he takes a day off. Then you become too dependent on Daniel Hackett, who is a veteran, but he has to play more than 30 minutes in these circumstances. You can see why they are looking for a point guard mm. in the market. I don't know if they are still looking. Yeah, they are. They are. So you can see why. Sometimes you think that, Matt, they probably don't even need one in games like this then you you see the colo mm. playing for Fenerbahce and you think like Cesca needs someone like this in the past they had Sergio Rodriguez De Colo Higgins they had Teodosic they always had leading guards in, in, in Europe elite players and now they're lacking I think yeah they I think that except from all these problems which were mentioned also by Vatutin uh, Vatutin uh, it seems like all these teams like CSKA, like FS, they're still kind of playing uh, on a lower gear. Uh, and I tried to find some common things uh, during the season, why they're struggling. And there are some similar similarities in, in some stats. Uh, for example, what, was, what I found interesting that Ceska has the best offensive rating in the EuroLeague, but they have the worst defensive rating in, Euro in the EuroLeague. So that's a radical change. They allow 60% uh, two-pointers and 38, which is worst in the EuroLeague, and they allow 38% uh, of three-pointers, uh, 15 uh, worst uh, in the EuroLeague. I also checked that uh, Anadol Efes, before winning against Jalgiris, they also shared the, one of the worst defensive ratings. I checked that mm, what I uh, noticed that some of these teams, especially Efes, were killed in transition defense. And uh, I can clearly see uh, that, for example, CSKA uh, allows 11.9 points per game in transition, which is the second worst, and Anadol Efes, 12.6 uh, points per game, which is the worst. And you can compare it with Bayern Munich, six points per game in, transi in transition. So, you know, there are, okay, there some are details. some, yeah, there are some logical reasons why they're losing, but at the same time, it seems like all these players are kind of understanding that it's the part of, it's very early in the regular season. But again, I try to talk about uh, it's about Shadas because I kind of try to say that 
hey, listen, uh, I know you're always hard with your players. He mentioned that they had the European record 90 games last season, which is like total like NBA schedule. And he hates uh, that in NBA they're just throwing uh, off some games and he wants uh, his team to be focused on every game. But when you have 90 games per season, it's so hard uh, to keep your team consistent uh, mentally. So maybe... Actually, you can, you know, throw some games, at least not, like, you know, not uh, Not clearly. on purpose. Yeah, yeah, but it's normal that sometimes your players are not focused. Uh, and he he said that he understands that, uh, watching other teams, but at the same time, especially talking about FS, he told that it's very risky, actually. And the way FS turned around the season last year, uh, it's kind of a miracle, you know, what, what, what happened. And it's... Not easy to repeat, just you know, to switch uh, the button and to kill everybody in the second part of the season. It doesn't happen very often. I still wanted to talk a little bit about Kenneth Farid. Um, I believe that with Milutinov coming back, it's not going to work out for Kenneth Farid in Moscow. I don't see how it could. Mm. But there is a good thing about Kenneth Farid coming to Tseska because from what I'm seeing, Joel Bolomboy now. Now he knows that there is a guy who can take his minutes away. And he started playing better since the day Kenneth Farid arrived. Joel Bolomboy started playing harder, fighting for the rebounds like crazy, playing his part, uh, mainly setting screens on the offense and trying to get these offensive rebounds. And his numbers since Farid arrived, and of course Milutinov injury had to do a lot with this, are great. And... If Kenneth Farid doesn't contribute himself, maybe he was like a moral boost for Joel Bolomboy to get better because always when you have a role on a team and somebody arrives and you know he's in your position, he might take away your minutes. You have to step up and this is what Joel Bolomboy is doing. And Farid, I'm not sure. Once again, you see him making a silly foul after a bonus. Yes, four offensive rebounds. The energy is there. The motivation is there. So you just cannot control it, it seems like. And now with Milutinov and Shingeli is also back. You still have Foytman. Bolomboy seems in a good shape. He was on a two-month contract, so I believe that he won't be extended. Yeah, it was only a two-month contract. Oh, okay. It was a, Ma- maybe this was uh, announced like at, till the end of the maybe season. Maybe it's until first. the end of the season, but maybe there is an option to you know break the contract after two months. If everyone's healthy, I actually don't see a place for him in this team, and unless he starts, he has a breakthrough and starts playing a lot better. You know, you have VTB league games, you mm-hmm. have Euroleague games, you can distribute the minutes uh, between those, but. At this point, I, I do believe that Kenneth Farid could be somewhere else by the new year. Indeed. Indeed. And uh, um, to follow up uh, with another Russian team, uh, let's let's open up about some things, which uh, it's it's time to open up about some things, uh, all these halftime speeches and some uh, EuroLeague TV journalists asking the questions. And uh, uh, you became very famous on Twitter with your Ergin Ataman's uh, impersonation and i believe that gitas and all of the fans are waiting for another uh big statement uh, <laughs> big luck <laughs> big <laughs> halftime speech or whatever and i would like to hear how our colleagues from russia um making all these those questions you mean the interviews yeah first of all i i don't get it how do you Me not neither. find someone who speaks fluent English and can ask a few 
questions in Moscow, for example, if you don't have a journalist, I don't know, get Will Clyburn's friend or wife or someone because it's embarrassing to be honest it's uh, it, it should be embarrassing you have a an elite coach who's waiting for a question and and the coach obviously knows that this is not going to go well <laughs> and then something like team something coach, like this course. comes out coach in first half you had problem but now two points game what you think second half could do <laughs> what is this I mean, and there are always problems in in other places. In Victoria, for example, sometimes in Italy. In Gran Canaria, I remember. Oh, awful. Gran Canaria was legendary. <laughs> I just don't get it. Why? Is it so hard to find someone? If it is, then just give him a piece of paper with just to the read precise the words. And he just has to read it. And of course, the coach gets annoyed because he's like <laughs> in the game mood. He He's willing to do this because he has to do this. It's like part of his duty to give the interview to, for television. He doesn't want to offend the guy. But if you cannot yeah. make a question. And especially I mean, uh, these home team coaches, they know what they're dealing with. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, they usually yeah. try to be very polite. But even Ettore Messina was pretty mad last time he was asked. No, no, yeah, he was not even for, asked the For question. example, what kind of question is this? What do you generally think about the quality of the game? What is he supposed to say? What he thinks about the quality of the game? <laughs> he wants uh, to win a basketball game. <laughs> I don't get it, man. Okay, I, I'm something, the last one who should criticize somebody on their English skills, but it's still funny. Something needs to be done. It's it's not only about English skills; it's just about some common sense, really. But, and actually, it's not and the fault really, of these interviewees. I mean, and it's the fault should, of the producers. About, I mean, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Euroleague should care about the quality of the broadcast. Yeah. So if, if something is bad, you need to give a notice. Mm. Say, look, guys. I mean, it's okay. It's a it's a great broadcast the camera crew is doing a great job but come on what, what's up with these interviews find yeah. someone better and all these voices are there for years actually yeah, yeah. It's, it's hard to imagine that you cannot find and anything I, better in Moscow for I example. have to give a shout out because there are some great people doing these interviews yeah. in Germany for example in Greece mm. I don't know these people but sometimes you think yeah it's great in Madrid for example they have a I believe he sounds American Someone who mm. really speaks great and has confidence, and he talks with Pablo Lasso, and it looks it's very, not very Lasso, natural, right? No, 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 no. Okay. So somebody else doing this in-game and post-game. Yeah, that's how it So there are good people doing a really good job, but in some places you just raise your eyebrows and you're thinking, why is he there? I mean, come on. And that's the good point. <laughs> I mean, it's not their fault. Your league should take care of it i mean sure, if they're yeah. interested 100 percent. it's sometimes like uh, when you think in general that your league should um, mm, take care uh, more of some media things of some teams being more available because we actually find a really hard time of reaching out uh, to some of the teams and i never i don't get it actually because we would help them to be more popular around the europe we would uh, talk about all these teams more to introduce uh, to interview all these players it, it would help all the EuroLeague product, but sometimes I think that even more than a half of these EuroLeague teams are so close, they're not giving any interview availabilities and stuff, and EuroLeague should be like taking care of all these things, saying that, guys, you cannot be like that. We are not uh, getting the money like football does. I understand that it's hard to reach out to Cristiano Ronaldo, for example, but this is different. It's hard, but it's not impossible. Mm. Of course, it's going to be... Uh 
like I don't know a template interview where you know what he's gonna say, but you can get it in mix zone and mm. media zone. It's, it's it's possible. Uh, I'm not dealing with these interviews like you, for example. I'm just a commentator. You're a journalist, mm. but I, I'm hearing from a lot of people that there is no like order how it works in Euroleague. How do you have to communicate? To whom you have to send an email to get an interview or to just I don't know yeah. agree on some meeting. So uh, yeah, these are these are things that should be solved if you are trying to be a serious league or you're. I don't know. If you're a high it, holder, it's easier, but it shouldn't be like that. Yeah, basketball I mean, is not if, so big. If, if you are like uh, trying to prove to everybody that you're the second best league in the world mm-hmm. in the game of basketball, it's not just about what happens on the court. It's about everything. Every detail matters. Entertainment. And you have to take care of every single thing. And maybe uh, when Jordi Bertomeu is out, things start going different way. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll see because it all starts from the head. So, Ritis, what do you <laughs> think about Zenit winning uh, against Euroleague champions? Well, first half, yes. Um, okay, sorry. First half was good. Maybe it was really good. Yeah, it was really good. First <laughs> yeah. half for Zenit. <laughs> Maybe now I'm getting disrespectful. Um, yeah, well, I have to say now, first of all, that my hero of the week is actually Mindogas Kuzminskas. Me the same. Lithuanian guy, we were questioning his abilities to play for Xavi Pasqual. Here is a game where there are mismatches. Krunoslav Simon is guarding him or some... Elijah Bryant uh, especially. Elijah Bryant, they are kind of undersized for this third position. I mean, the West Kuzminskas has an advantage, but you still have to use your advantage. You have to be able to do that and in this game... It was perfect from Mendogas Kuzminskas. Everything he did, it was perfect. And you said he needs to play a lot of minutes to feel confident. I think he also needs uh, his first few actions in the game to be good in order for him to be good in the whole game. And, and this is what happened here against Anadol Efes. He was the best player of the game, but the MVP. A- actually, the start of the game for him was complicated. He entered the court at something like a third or fourth minute of the game and... Be- just to replace Ponitka because he had some blood somewhere, so he had to be subbed out. And the first few possessions for Kuzminskas, especially defensively, defensively, it was tough. And when he was benched, uh, usually it it you know it finishes like uh, Xavi Pascali is not bringing him on the court again. Sometimes it happened during the season, but this time his second stint uh, on the court was much better. And I think that he scored eight points in a row during that crucial run uh, in the first half uh, when Zenit uh, made that double-digit uh, lead against Efes, and he was great. He started to make all the threes. He created all the good situations from the low post. post. Yeah, he he did some steals, actually, to run the transition. And uh, it helped him to feel better. And he yeah. was really efficient in that game. So kudos for, for Also, Kuzi. another guy, we, we're doubting him. I'm still doubting Frank him. Kamp. It's Frankham, but he had a great shooting night. He can shoot the ball. The questions are about his other abilities, playmaking, distributing. But he can shoot the ball. He made... Four free pointers, eighteen points in eighteen minutes. Good performance. And uh, talking about Anadol Efes again, we were we were saying that they beat Dralgiris. It should be good for their confidence next week. They're facing Zenit. They could go on a winning streak. Not. They're not going on a winning streak. Vasilya Mitic is far away from his best shape. 
Everybody is out. Of, he looks out of shape. Some guys, in some moments, they look okay, but you're looking at an adult FS and you're thinking they're not a team right now. Mm-hmm. They're like, I don't. They're not functioning as a team. I don't know why. We probably are not going to discuss again about Ataman, no. yeah. <laughs> but I mean, come on. This is you're facing Zenit at home. Zenit is not a good offensive team. They have a very poor offensive rating, I believe. And they scored 90 points against you. Yeah, it was a very bad uh, defensive presence. Okay, Zenit, they have the 11th best uh, offensive rating. And so after this game? Yeah, after the ga- after this game, before this game, they were 13th uh, so worse. So that's mediocre offense. And it's natural because they're playing without their yeah, point yeah, guard. Yeah, yeah. And I'm actually amazed how well they're still keeping in the standings with five and three uh, because... You cannot imagine, you know, winning team or playoff team with Jordan Lloyd as and uh, as a point guard, and he's a great shooting guard, he's a great scorer, but he's playing for as a your starting point guard for for a reason. Okay, Frank Camp st- uh, stepped up, but this, at the same time he's very inconsistent, and that's the reason why Zenit wasn't the market. I'm not sure if they're still on the market because Xavi Pascal, after that win, he mentioned that they're kind of in the last part of Shabazz Napier recovery. Uh, but uh, f- the information I've heard was that Zenit uh, are on the market f- for a point guard. And uh, we'll see uh, how will it finish, uh, finish up. By the way, Xavi Pascal against Ataman 11-1 in head-to-heads. Incredible record. Wow. So, Ataman only beat him once? Yeah. And it was Anadolu FS versus Zenit? Uh, I will have to check right now, but it's the general. Uh, I mean, head to head from yeah, Euroleague, yeah, so uh, Barca days, probably something like that. Or I will check it pretty yeah, soon. Yeah, no worries, no, no problem, no problem. You can wow, that's a great record, really. Yeah, that's a dominant, gr- dominant record, and I, I, I believe that Atman is quite, quite pissed about it because he, he's the guy who takes notice <laughs> at all these things. Really, you can believe me. I believe you. Uh, I believe you. So yeah, while we're at it, probably we should mention some other games that happened. Uh, I was very impressed about Silvanas Vesda. 81-48. A quick yeah. one. Mm, Ataman won against Chavinli once in 2019, November 14. So who was FS against Zenit? Uh, yeah, it was FS against okay. the Zenit. Oh no, that's that's wrong it, because John Plaza was the coach. So it's no, you have to go f- yeah, yeah, deeper. <laughs> times or something oh. like that. Yeah. Whatever. Uh yeah, so Zvezda against Panathinaikos. 81-48. Pau was just locked. They couldn't do anything again and now I can definitely say that this game they had against FS where <laughs> everything was clicking, it was just a coincidence. Mm. They are not good. They're just slightly better than Jalgiris, but they are not good yeah, at I'm all. I'm waiting for the next week's game because Pau is coming to Kona, so maybe it's the first chance to, to win something for Jalgiris. And once again, Zvezda, great performance from Nate Walters. Ognjan Kuzmic, very aggressive on the boards, getting their third victory. Just being competitive. It's, it's what it's all about for Zvezda, being competitive every single night. They had some 
slumps, I would say, recently. They had four losses in a row, and this game against Power was uh, the one where they showed that there are no problems. They are still the same team. They are, they're still supported with the, by, by their passionate fans. So 81-48. 48 what a result. points. 48 points. Uh, Only Unix had worse against against Fener this season. Yeah, they allowed Fenerbahce 61. They kept Maccabi at 63. Jalgir 61. Incredible defense. Monaco 70 points. And uh, we were discussing with Sharas, you know, what's the way of winning uh, for low-budget teams? Because I asked him, uh, he kind of criticized Jalgir coming from this philosophy, this style of working probably both as the head coach and, let's say, building the roster, that they went so radical with American Wave, with Martin Schiller Project. So he was uh, he was criticizing, actually. Uh, let's say he was surprised why Jalgris changed that direction. And I asked him that, uh, so maybe, you know, Zdovs uh, mm, now is the head coach of Jalgris. Maybe Jalgris is again, you know, looking uh, uh, that way. Uh, but he mentioned that when I asked him about building the roster, uh, that you were known as a coach who was hiring unproven players, Euroleague rookies and stuff like that, the hungry, hungry players. And I asked him if that's the way for the low-budget team to expect something in the Euroleague. He actually uh, wasn't so sure because he told that he was signing all these players just because, uh, you know, Jalgiris had a limit limited budget and they couldn't uh, afford, uh, let's say, experienced uh, Euroleague guys. So if Jalgiris had a bigger budget, maybe his idea would be a, a little bit different. But when I think about team like Zvezda in order to be competitive in the Euroleague, uh, when I remember also Panthinaikos game against Anadolu Efes, I think that you will always uh, have a chance in the Euroleague when you will be super physical, super intense. Then you will have a roster, pretty mobile roster, uh, which could really defend uh, all the positions, the switching defense. Uh, when you will be really hard working, you know, um, understanding the value of every possession, you will always have a chance in the EuroLeague, no matter what. And I think Zvezda proved it, Jalgiris proved it uh, in, in previous years, even Panathinaikos against FS. I mean, it's 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 that it sounds easy, but it's very hard uh, would, to demand. I would add another thing. I would say that, um, of course, when you're building a team with a limited budget, you're going through positions and you're thinking where we can save some money, where should we spend and invest more? You can never save money or gamble on a point guard position. Mm -hmm. You can save some money signing a power forward who's not very skilled or very talented. He can be a defensive type of player. You can gamble maybe with your small forward or your second center who's going to play limited minutes. You can never do that with a point guard. So Cervenas Vesda signing someone like Nate Walters, who is a trustworthy player, of course, his price is lower because of his uh, injuries, but you know what you're going to get. And if you would build a team like, okay, we sign a good center, we go for a power forward that we really want, the coach wants this this shooting guard, this scorer, and then you end up saving money on a point guard and getting some budget option, it's never going to work. It always has to start from a good point guard. And, you know, Sharas and Jalgiris, what point guards he had? Kevin Pangos... Nate Walters himself, Vasilya Mitic, Leo Westerman as yeah. a backup, always playing solid minutes. They they were always strong in this position. They missed out on some players maybe in the market, but they were always 
finding solutions in the point guard position. So this is another thing I would add to your idea. The same it was for Maccabi. They were losing all those years because I think that they didn't have a great point guard. Okay, they had some scorers, like, for example, Scott Wilbekin, but next to him, you have to ha- have something solid. And I think that Keenan Evans is still getting better. He's still going there. But uh, the way he's uh, playing defense, the way he stepped up on offensive end uh, in the previous games, you know, gives uh, us a hope that they, maybe he can be that guy who could contribute. You know what about Maccabi? I would say Keenan Evans to me doesn't look like a floor general either. However, they solve these things with point forwards with James mm-hmm. Nunnally. And Derek Williams. De- James Nunnally is a point forward in this in yeah. this team. What he's doing, he's a creator. He's playing post-ups. He's uh, having the ball in his hands a lot. So uh, the term itself, point guard, I mean, it's kind of old. Mm-hmm. You should say a creator. It can be playmaker. someone, a playmaker, even from the third position or from the second. But it still has to be someone who controls the team and, and gives the balance to the team. So in Maccabi's case, I would say it's it's the glue guy, James Nunnally, mm. at, at the moment, that is actually making everything work. Uh, uh, yes, Keenan Evans is, t- is is getting better, of course, but I, I don't think that he's a floor general type mm. of point guard. He's still a sort of a combo guard, in my opinion. Okay, yeah, so that's about, about Zvezda, about low-budget teams. Vasconia. Um, yeah, we should mention some other if games. If we as well. believe in in teams like FS and CSKA, we don't have a lot of belief in in Basconia. No, not at all. I, I was saying that this game against Maccabi it will be very important. I was actually guessing it will determine Dusko Ivanovic's future. But as we can see, he's still there. He was coaching this weekend. They finally got a win with Tadej Sedekerski's uh, great performance. But in Euroleague against Maccabi, they were hopeless again. It has to be said, they were hopeless. There was nothing. 87-69, Basconi was playing at home. Maccabi was doing whatever they want. For Derek Williams, it was like a, a picnic, a field trip. He was having fun in this game. Last week we were talking about moves needed by Basconia. Yeah, they yeah, actually yeah. made a move. Uh, they signed uh, Lamar Peters, another guard, and this move uh, I tried to made a, make a research, and did, this move was based on inconsistent game of uh, Jason Ranger and uh, Wade Baldwin's uh, unavailability uh, to play as a point guard in Dushko's system. So Dushko believes that uh, Lamar Peters will be better suited for his game because he's a better defender. Maybe he can score uh, from the t- uh, beyond the arc. He last season he played for Bursaspor. Uh, he was averaging 17 points ca- per game in EuroCup, but he played only three EuroCup games in Turkish league. It was much difficult, much more difficult for him. 10 points per game, uh, 6.4 assists. Uh, but only 27% of uh, three-point shooting, uh, attempting more than almost seven frees per game. Uh, so it will be adjust adjustment for him, but that's the another case of how long this cooperation between Baldwin will be happening. Because if they're signing a new player for Dushko, it means they're trusting him to continue. Probably, probably. And the thing is that Baldwin against Unicaja, they won that game. Baldwin played only nine minutes. So... Yeah. Someone, some of them won't uh, stay until Christmas, probably mm-hmm. over there, and probably it's a matter of time because I cannot see Baldwin being happy in that situation. Another thing is centers, of course. Maccabi's mm-hmm. centers outplayed whole Basconia's front line. 
Ante Žižiš 16 points, Jalen Reynolds 16 points, dominating the boards, getting offensive rebounds. The difference of quality is amazing, actually. I don't know about the budgets. Does, does Maccabi have a much bigger budget than Basconia? I think it's quite the same because Basconia was one of the lowest budget teams in Spain in terms of the EuroLeague. Yeah, yeah. of course Barca and Real There's have more money. There's always something around 14 millions or less. And they were not paying solid money, but they were kind of including huge buyouts, so they were getting money from that. But all these players never were, oh, some of them were paid good, but now Basconia cannot afford, you know, signing amazing players. It's not like Maccabi are signing super duper yeah, yeah, stars, yeah. But, but at least they are getting better because now yeah, they have fans back and they have a lot of uh, income uh, from that. It's just the difference when you see Maccabi and you trust Fairopolis and you know they might have some slumps, they will have some bad games, but you're just trusting him and you're seeing Basconia with Dushko. I have no belief in this team, to be honest. Mm. And I'm really surprised that that the coach still keeps his position because in the past I saw Basconia firing coaches left and right. Pedro Martinez uh, is playing some quality basketball, but there's a conflict somewhere in the club and bam, Pedro Martinez is fired. And they had Perasovic, they fired him. They had, I don't even remember some names, but they were firing coaches after something goes wrong immediately. Now with Dushko Ivanovic, for some reason, they're just staying with him, trusting him, and allowing him to lose four games in a row with 20-point deficits. So it's kind of strange to me. Yeah. I'm kind of tired of talking about Basconia yeah, yeah, every stop. all day, every podcast. Let's and stop. we are let's not, stop, you know, uh, coach hunters or something like that. But Sometimes you just raise questions. Yeah. And that's it. Uh, I wanted to mention again Asvel and their another win against Unix. And this time, Chris Jones was the man. 85-82. Once again, they're proving they can play these close games. Even though they're like a new team, a new group of guys. But they already seem like they were playing together for at least three or four years. And Chris Jones just really showed his quality in this game. They outplayed a really talented Unix team with uh, Mario Hezonia, who was having a, an amazing night shooting 27 points. He started the game very bad. I remember uh, because I have him on my fantasy, I guess, yeah. and he was like minus three or something in the But first half. But it was, half. in the end, his best best uh -huh. game of the season so far. And, and still, he was overshadowed by this little guy, Chris Jones. And it seems like Wilderborn has the best... Uh, backcourt in the EuroLeague so far. What is interesting, you can find it uh, on our Basket News Instagram page, that Jones and Okobo have combined for uh, has combined for 248 points in the EuroLeague season, which is 45% of the points scored by Asphalt. And if you, crazy. if you add the assists they are making, that's also contribution yeah. directly to S scoring. It would be something like 70%. Five percent of Asphalt points. Also in this game, David Light has stepped up. He he played great. He scored 19 points and played big minutes. But yeah, Okobo and Jones, wow. And what else? From, from last week, yeah. uh, I would just say that Real Madrid and Bayern Munich was a great fight. I, I couldn't see the game live, though. I, I just watched the highlights. But you could see Bayern Munich doing their thing once again, coming back to the game from a double-digit deficit, making it tough on Real Madrid. They barely won. They escaped, I would say. And Gershon Yabusele was the MVP. 
yeah, Monaco lost against Olympiakos. Uh, nothing unexpected, but at the same time, what was unexpected that they lost the French league game against Bourgan Brest by 25 points. Can you imagine? It's something wrong with them. I mean, it seems like they're still looking for that balance uh, in the French league and the Euro league because it's not the first time they lost the game. And, uh, of course, Zvezdan is using uh, whole different rotations all the time. Maybe that what, you know, makes some players kind of, you know, uncomfortable the way they're always rotating. But it's... They have too many players. It well, may, that it, was the it, idea, you it know, may to sound keep them. But it may sound wrong, but sometimes you yeah. may have too many players and it's not good for the balance it, of the team. It's good to keep them fresh, but at the same time, it's hard to be consistent when you're it's changing hard to all keep rotations them ha- all the it's time. It's hard to keep them happy. Yeah. You're not Real Madrid, where the players they're hungry for basketball, but at the same time they already proven everything in the game of basketball. They're experienced veterans that they can accept playing one game and sitting one game. Here in Monaco, you have players that they want the ball, they want to play. They just have, in my opinion, too many players. I'm not sure why they made some of these signings. As we said, Dwayne Bacon, for example, I'm not questioning whether he's a good basketball player or not, but why was he brought to this team? And at the moment, we're seeing that maybe it's not working for them with this whole idea of having 12 or even 14 good guys, good players in the roster. Not necessarily good guys, <laughs> good players. Enough is enough. That shit won't happen again, Mike James tweeted. Probably after that game. I don't know. Maybe it was not related to that game. Maybe he was just... Or it was playing Call of Duty and probably, probably <laughs> something happened. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's move on with. Okay, we had our hero of the week, Mendogas yeah. Kuzminskas. Shout out to Kuze. But now we have to uh, present our zero of the week. So who's yours? Zero of the week for me it will be Paulus Motejunas. Okay. I, w- I wanted to mention a single player, for example, Ulanovas or someone like this. But no, when I he- hear Jalgiris coach after losing to Alba Berlin saying that. Today we saw how a modern team looks like. They are just too good for us. How do you get from what you had to being in a position where where Alba is too good for you? At home. At home, my friend. How can you make so many bad decisions one after another that now you're playing not against an elite team? When you lose against an elite team, you can say they have this big budget, they have these great players. You lose to Alba Berlin. They are mediocre, not as in the early. As far as I know, Alba Berlin's budget is lower than Jalgiris. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And they are only free the in German championship. <laughs> now, the coach is here saying, well, they're, they're a modern EuroLeague team. They're just too good for us. So what's wrong with this team? What, how, how do you build a team like this that gets to being too weak to face Alba Berlin? Alba Berlin won this game with Israel Gonzalez taking zero timeouts. Like Zero. Chuck Daly, 1992. Yeah. Dream team. And I don't know this, but I can only speculate that maybe Israel Gonzalez was thinking like, this Jalgiris team, they're so dead. If I take a timeout, they will rest for a minute. Nah, I don't want to uh, I don't want to see that happening. Let them suffer. Let them die on this court. Jesus Christ. I mean, mm. Paulus Motiunas, I'm sorry what he did in, in the last summer and the signings he made and everything, the situation with Coach Schiller. Now Juras Doft is there. I feel sorry for that man. I mm. wanted to give him a hug during this television interview. I felt really sorry for him. Jesus Christ. And they are suffering. Two days later, they lose the game against the, their main rival, FIBA Champions League team, Ritas. Uh, they made a comeback in the end of the game. 
they lost by five, I guess, if not, Eight. or something like that. Yeah, but uh, before the halftime, it was Ritas was uh, were up by twenty four. <laughs> they were dominating the game, and actually, Jalgiris didn't even deserve that co- late comeback, which was influenced by Lukas Lukavic because Ritas just killed them. And Jalgiris were hopeless. It was a tragedy. And the worst thing is that it's hard to see the any light in the end of the tunnel. I mean, what you should rely on. Ty Webster, he couldn't play one-on-one. He couldn't beat one-on-one Marco Tej, who was fired the next day. Okay, Zoran Dragic, uh, he, he was good. He was decent. I mean, he was doing his job. Lukas Lekajevic, uh, he, played, uh, he played an amazing game. I, I, I said it before. Moody was uh, fired, uh, but I said that it's that time of uh, his career that Lakaiuchus can make another great contract because Moody was not performing well, and uh, it seems like only Lakaiuchus is performing right now. And what was strange that it seemed like I, I saw only three players fighting, and it was Lakaiuchus, it was former Ritas player Marek Blažević, who was sincerely angry about the outcome of the game after two uh, quarters, and it was Zoran Dragic, the newcomer of the team. It doesn't sound good, right, when we're talking about all these three players fighting for their pride and against their rivals. There, was, there wasn't a lot of fight and against Alba as well. Yeah, and having their asses beaten up by everybody. For example, against Alba, they survived only because Komaji was on the court. He was attacked, he was terrible, and that helped Zalgiris to stay, let's say, a bit closer. And however, when that, it was dominating, dominating performance by Alba. Third, fourth, I mean, especially fourth quarter, you don't see any idea how Jalgiris should score the basketball. They're just suffering. They don't have anyone who can play one-on-one. They don't have any chemistry. You just give the ball, there are six seconds left on the clock, and at this point you give the ball to Lekavicius, he's going to play a pick-and-roll, and maybe he will make a floater or something like that. The same goes with Strelnex. You give him the ball with five seconds left, and you're hoping maybe he will make his one-legged three-point shot or, or pick-and-roll and get a jump shot in some sort of position. Then you see Alba Berlin. Tuk, 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 the ball is moving. Look, Sigma is there. He's facing the basket, seeing everybody, scanning the floor. Everybody knows the roles. Tamir Blatt steps up, starts doing these... Harlem Globetrotter passes, everyone's so confident, so happy, they're playing basketball, Israel Gonzalez is just, he's just a spectator, he's not taking a single time out, wow, man, I mean, and and you know last season we had Himki in the EuroLeague, right? Everyone was beating them, and they were hopeless, them. really. they were hopeless, but... They were a team in a financial crisis. Players were not getting salaries. Some players were leaving during the season. In the beginning of the season, they were facing COVID. They had like six or seven healthy bodies. You could understand why they are where they are. They were losing. Players not getting their money. They're not happy. There's no morale in this team. But Jalgiris, they're getting paid. It's just that they build a roster that is not suitable for modern-day EuroLeague. And this goes to the person who's the decision maker. Yeah, and I felt bad listening Zdovts uh, having all these, I would say, not stupid explanations, but uh, uh, sad explanations. Uh, for example, he was saying that maybe some players uh, didn't take Rita seriously because, you know, they kind of used to giving all the effort on the EuroLeague and taking rest in LKL, which is bullshit because half of Jalgiris roster is full of veterans who know the importance of that game. And again, when you start the season 0-7, 
there's no room f- uh, to underestimate anybody. Then he was asked about uh, who has to be done, let's say, uh, to change the situation. And he started talking about and uh, emphasizing his idea about signing a big man at first, first signing the big man who could shoot from the outside, who sh- could be great on the uh, low post, which is funny because usually all these players are getting paid by 1 million euros or something like that because the market is very dry, especially for the teams like Jalgeris. But at the same time, I don't really believe that the player in the paint would be a game changer for the Jalgeris. So I feel bad for Juras Dovs. He's not the... Uh, for, he's not that guy who is blamed for everything. He's a hostage. Is, yeah, he's, he's a kind hostage of hostage. Situation. But at the same time, he, he's not one to blame uh, that he probably he's not the right coach for this team because, okay, I, I understand Paulus' point that uh, going from Schiller, you wanted somebody who could mm, bring some dis- discipline, who could be strict, and if that American project uh, wasn't wasn't successful let's get back to, to their roots getting back to the old uh, european mm, kind of style of basketball but okay if you're bringing strict coach you cannot sign the defensive minded coach for the offensive i i couldn't say that this is offensive oriented team this team is hopeless in defense so defensive minded coach is not the right uh, one for this team maybe let's try somebody with some offensive ideas uh, to try to do something with this offensive potential because maybe there is more offensive potential for this team i even think that maybe rimas cortinaitis would be more suitable for this team than actually Euras Dots because they are disciplined but they are uh, way different it's of course not an answer for jalgiris jalgiris is in a terrible situation but again this move uh with Euras Dots of all these signings uh, so you agree about the zero of the week, or you? Yeah, just, yeah. my just zero of the week was just, just Jalgiris in, in general. General, yeah, yeah. Fair, fair enough, yeah. And yeah. I know that Jalgiris front office will be angry again on media, escalating it. But you cannot act like it's nothing. Nothing is going on. I mean, they are on the worst start in the Euroleague in their history. Uh, they suffered the worst defeat against their rivals at the, their home court in Jalgiri Arena. They were tel- terrible, actually. They made all these changes, but the progress progress is not there. Th- there was a, a meeting with the fans, I mean, ultras of Jalgiris before the end of the game. They came in, into the tunnel to talk with the players uh, and showed their support. It it was nice. For example, in Europe, it, it kind of spread out, and uh, I saw some former Jalgiris people, even Coach Plaza uh, tweeted about it. Hanno Motola, for example, tweeted about it. Some Greek journalists tweeted about it that saying, oh, this is a great example because usually in Greece or uh, every other country, all these players will be trashed by their own fans and something. The support was nice, but... <laughs> Um, the the idea was nice, but the form was questionable because it was kind of, hey, what's going on? Oh, we don't know. We try, but uh, something is not going on. Oh, okay, green and white, green and white. <laughs> uh, I mean, they. I mean, again, <laughs> I, I will be trashed oh. because of this. But the idea uh, was great, but the form was like, uh, what is all about? They're going to Madrid this week. Don't even so now, me. after this conversation with the fans, they will be like on fire. You will see Mantas Kalinet is just attacking Tavares <laughs> and all this stuff. They will be playing great basketball, aggressive, and it's going to end up 92 60 to Madrid. I know, maybe they should <laughs> appoint 
Kalnietis as their head coach, you know, because next season you cannot expect things from Kalnietis. He might be a great coach, so maybe let's start this project right now. I mean, it would make more sense actually. I don't I don't even care about this season anymore for Jalgiris. Just I'm exp- I, I'm hoping that next year someone with competence will be making decisions about the roster, hiring a new coach and building a team from scratch. They will be changing like eight players, I believe, and I, I just hope it will be better. This season, I have no expectations at all. You know, what's the f- worst part? That previously, it's not the first time Jorge is, is having a, a really, really bad season. But before, it was like, okay, the regular season finishes at uh, January, February. Mm-hmm. Then there's a top 16. Jorge is, uh, don't play in the EuroLeague anymore. They play in the LKL. They win the, all the titles. And everything is, let's say, okay. Now we will have to suffer it until Ooh, the middle games. of... There are 26 games. Alba Berlin was too much for them, but there are still 26 games left to play with other teams. If Alba Berlin is too much for you, you're in trouble, my friend. Really. And I I just hope, I really sincerely hope that we are too early with all these uh, early, too early judging them because when all the players will be back in shape with Come all on, these man. signings. What are you going to do? Win they six will be, games? They will be at least 10th Uh, tenth win, uh, ten wins game. Yeah, ten wins. I just hope. I just you hope, hope that we're you, missing something. You hope, but you don't, I don't believe. believe. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I'm hoping, like a let's say, fan of Jorgeris of Lithuania and basketball. Ten. That would be that would be amazing. Ten. Wow. What are we talking about? Yeah, I'm a big dreamer. Let, let's get the first one some sometime. At soon. least against Panthinaikos next week. Well, we were hoping that it will be against of Alba course. Berlin, but Alba Berlin is just too modern and too good. So I don't know. Okay, okay, it's enough. <laughs> Again, too much stuff about Jalgiris. Uh In the end, top three atmospheres. The last time we made a ranking of your top three uh, teams to cover on the broadcast. Yeah. Now I will make my own top three EuroLeague atmospheres. Uh, and for my top three, again, there's no order, but I took uh, Greece and It's Athens and Piraeus included because these two arenas have a very special feeling. So you don't want to offend anybody. No, no, no. I want to, right because I you want would say, to say, "Oh, Oaka is the best." If I will say that Oaka <laughs> is the best, I won't be allowed to enter uh, a peace, peace and, and friendship, friendship stadium, stadium anymore. There's not a lot of peace over there actually, but that atmosphere is amazing because mm, it's like a it's like a built like a stadium and the basketball arena. And the media seatings uh, are like in the middle uh, of it, and especially when it's full. I remember I was visiting uh, visiting Piraeus uh, in quarterfinals three years ago, and it was a really interesting uh, playoff matchup between Jalgiris and Piakos. There were many fans and stuff like that. It was I felt really let's say uncomfortable you because scared. it's like. We are gladiators in the middle of the court, and all these fans are kind of cursing, killing Shares. He he en- uh, enters the let's say arena, uh, his bench before the g- before the game, five minutes before the game. All these fans are singing all the shit, all the worst words uh, you can ever hear, and it's like okay. And I remember it was a joke between Robert Sevtokas, former sports director of Jalgiris. Or and Paulus Matunas was also there, and they were kind of joking that oh, it's it's because of you, you know, because Yevtokas played for Pau. <laughs> of course, it's not for Shares. Uh, Waka is uh, is um, amazing. Uh, I've been in many great games in at Waka, but my 
most strangest experience was when it was just a regular game between Zhargiris Panthnaikos, but the football team was uh, playing badly back then. And it seems like that probably, I don't know anything about football, but probably the president of football team came in the arena and VIP seats to watch the game. And I'm I'm sitting doing my job in media uh, area, not paying any attention that half of my Greek colleagues are smoking during the game. They were kind of smoking the cigarette and you know typing and stuff. Well, it's it's a normal day in in Greece basketball. But like, don't you get disturbed by people smoking in the arena? I was in, at the beginning, but you know when it's your second or third game in, in Greece, you're kind of used to it, especially in I Serbia. I never smoked a cigarette in my life, so it really. Um, prevents me from going to any Serbian or, uh, or Greek restaurant games. Or restaurant, because it's oh, terrible. Yeah, also, yeah, because I just cannot stay there if people are smoking inside. After the halftime in Waka, there is kind of a uh, cloud of, of smoke uh, in Waka, L- actually. L- let's be clear, not everyone smoking cigarettes. <laughs> That's, of course, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Weed is all over the place <laughs> over there. You can smell it yeah. uh, pretty correctly. Uh, pretty easily. And I remember I was like, okay, doing my s- regular game time stuff. Then 20 or 30 ultras are running into the media uh, area, uh, media tribune. But media tribune was like there, and there's a VIP zone. And all these ultras were kind of trying to attack or at least to curse the president of football team. And I know Greece. I know their culture. I was not even thinking about trying to film what's going on. But my colleagues from Lithuania weren't kind of, you know... Um, uh, curious. Yeah, but they were too curious. They started to film it. And I saw all the other media members uh, from Greece, they're just, that's okay, that's just another day in the office. Uh, my colleagues from Lithuania started filming it. And I saw the Panathinaikos media officer just don't do it. And one of the ultras... Uh, noticed that somebody was filming. So they were almost about to run in the stands in the media seating and you know, to take that phone and stuff like that. But uh, my colleagues were fast enough, you know, just to show that, okay, we're deleting it and stuff like that. So that was one of the more interesting experiences at Oaka. Uh, something like that happened in Belgrade. Uh, I just hit the random Abali game of Partizan against Zadar. It was before Jalgiris Vesda game in the Euroleague, the night before. And I was, I'm, I love ultras. I was enjoying uh, Partizan Grobari, yeah, Grobari fans, uh, you know, chanting and dancing in the stands. And I was like, let's film it. Let's put it on Instagram because it's cool. My friend, my colleague, journalist, Georgia was like, hey, put your phone down because they may treat you as a, as a police officer in, uh, let's say, civilian coverage uh, and stuff like that. Just don't do it because they might think that you're trying to film their uh, faces and stuff like that. So I was like, okay, okay. I was doing like this. And my colleague was uh, saying, hey, let's go to smoke the cigarette uh, here around the cor- uh, corner outside the court. Okay, I thought that we will leave outside the arena. But basically it was just like getting off the arena and on the next corner in the building, everybody was like smoking. There are 20, 30 Robocops, you know, ready for everything. And there were like 30 people just smoking cigarettes inside the arena. But uh, what I wanted to say about Belgrade's experience, uh, watching the uh, watching players' faces during the game against Zvezda, again, it was Sharas Zalgiris, and Zalgiris uh, lost that game against Zvezda badly. It was the year when Vasilya Mitic played his first season. He got some presents during the game. 
in Belgrade because he's former Zvezda player. And I have to say that it probably was the first arena where I looked at players' eyes and I saw that they were scary. They were scary to enter the court. They were scary of what was going on in, in the stands. Because when the fans were started to shout, I mean, you couldn't hear the EuroLeague anthem uh, before the game. Yeah, because they boo the EuroLeague anthem. Yeah, yeah. Or they boo or, or they, they try sing. to they just be even more louder than it. And I felt goosebumps and I kind of felt, okay, I will be just like this during all game long because I don't want to be in trouble because they might treat me as a, let's say, Jalgiris guy. There were some Jalgiris fans. There was one, mm, I would say, quite famous uh, Lithuanian singer. Probably probably he's not singing anymore. Uh, what was funny that he, he just drank too much that he was sleeping uh, in the stands all game long. He missed the game, actually. And he had some problems later in the charter flight coming back home. He got some some conversation with Shadas after that. So you can imagine Jargis losing game and yeah, yeah, yeah. him making problems in the charter flight and then having a conversation with Shadas. But anyway, that's a different story. My last one, my third one would be Fenerbahce because that's the best combination of the nice gym, great crowd. I love their announcer. He's kind of aggressive. He has amazing voice and it's really very important. For example, I love Maccabi announcer, especially back in the day in in 2000s uh you could even try to you know impersonate him and to i remember carlos tishkavich is our colleague in lithuania yeah. he tried to impersonate him in in konas when he was also announcing uh games in the arena so fenerbahce has uh, have great great uh, fan base they're super loud the arena is something like siemens arena in vilnius but the thing is that siemens is like getting wider and ulker arena is like getting let's say higher and there's a much more pressure uh, inside the court, so I love it. Maccabi, they're fourth. Yeah, they're fourth on my list. I, I could have guessed probably that you're gonna say these because it's obviously yeah. exceptional atmosphere. However, my impression about the Greek teams is that uh, in order to feel this atmosphere, you need to go to an important game because, mm. uh, or the team has to win games. Yeah, because if if the team's playing badly and they're just facing a random opponent, let's say Alba Berlin is coming to town, yeah. and you're going to Oaka or Peace uh, and Friendship Stadium, these are huge spaces. Yeah, and yeah. if there there will be not too many people, the noise will be lost somewhere, and it will not be that great. Yeah, yeah. That's my impression. But yes, uh, when they are playing, let's say a quarterfinals of the Euroleague or the Greek derby is happening so it will be something to yeah that's the best thing you can imagine to, to feel and and to i don't know just witness let's finish yeah thanks for your for your really detailed stories about uh, your experiences yeah. we have some fan mail uh philip rodel uh sorry if uh pardon is, for is pronouncing it german right. yeah rodel rodel okay thanks philip like rodel. alba alba Berlin. Something like that. <laughs> okay, so Philip, uh, he's writing that thanks for another great episode, guys. Although <laughs> Rita's shirt is questionable. Uh, I'd like to follow up on the part where you discussed Byron's model as a potential future blueprint for Jalgiris. Trusting Foregan, mainly American players, and not putting too much emphasis on integrating young young prospects from the own youth, youth academy. I personally agree with you here that Byron's approach makes a lot of sense and most Byron fans definitely prefer seeing their team contending for the EuroLeague playoffs regularly over developing own talents. However, in Germany, the basketball bubble, which is relatively small, unfortunately, 
is dominated by the ALBA mindset that tends to see adding prospects to the senior team on a regular basis as a must-have. Naturally, this approach has its restrictions as ALBA will very likely not even come close to making it to the EuroLeague playoffs in the years to come. Still, Bayern is often criticized for relying too much on foreigners and not giving enough minutes to local youngsters. For that reason, I would be interested in getting your take on this topic in general, maybe while focusing on the two German EuroLeague teams, and in particular on and in particular on one aspect. Do you think it's possible at EuroLeague level to be competitive for the playoffs race and integrate talents regularly into the roster with a mid-sized budget, leaving out teams like Real on the one and uh, Cervana Zvezda on the other end? Um, if the talent is good enough, then it's possible. If you are just sort of doing it for the sake of it, it will never lead to good results. I think it's quite obvious. I believe that Alba doesn't only grow young German players, they are always looking for young players even from other countries, bringing some guys that maybe were overlooked by Italian clubs or Spanish clubs. They they gave chances to Lithuanian players like Rigonis and Gedraitis. They are, I think they're doing good scouting and finding talent, helping them grow, develop them, and they then they go somewhere else. But I'm I'm just thinking, what do you expect from your club? Do you expect results? Do you expect them to make the playoffs at some point? Let's say Bayern Munich. I think the idea is to, to bring a community. If the idea is to bring the community, then it's okay, fine. You live with it. You're happy that you sign foreigners like Luke Sigma that like they sort yeah. of become part of this city. Like Luke Sigma, you look at him and you're thinking he's Alba Berlin's guy. It doesn't matter that he's American. However, if you want to be competitive, you want to win, you would go for Trinkieri project with with the players he's signing, with with the leaders that they have, and they don't care. German players, there are not too many good German players on the market, so they have Paul Cipsa, their captain, and they build a team around Americans, Lucic, Serbian, and other guys they're getting. So my idea is this. Growing young players in Europe, in basketball, is hopeless. There's no business in it. In football, for example, if you grow a player, you sell him for good money. If he's very talented and he, he ends up having a great career, you get some money from every single transfer he makes. You're his first club. You're his, like, the club that grew him as yeah. a player. So you're always getting some profits. It's a successful business model. In basketball, let's say, have a very talented young guy. He gets drafted, or you're selling him to other EuroLeague club. You get a buyout, a single buyout. Let's say 500k. That's it. <laughs> My God! And for example, Rokas Jokubaitis, he is the top prospect of Lithuanian basketball in recent years, and uh, Barca bought him out for around 220 or 25, maximum 250 euros. It's yeah. crazy. And another thing, if you're trying to win with youngsters, then these youngsters have to be good, but not too good. Because if they're too good, they're drafted, and by the age of 19, they're in the NBA. Mm. And you don't even get the time to have his best days in your club to try yeah. and win basketball games with him. He's getting drafted, then he's out, bam, you get a buyout. At that moment, it seems okay, we got like 500K or 700K, but that's it. That's the last you heard of him. This player is gone. So in my opinion, if you have a mindset of trying to make the playoffs and winning basketball games, you cannot be focused on building a Lithuanian team or a German team 
developing these homegrown players for the sake of it. But if it is just to bring the community, as you said, and have this good vibes feeling, then fine, do it. Go ahead. Go for it. I would always go for the Bayern Munich model. Yeah, and these old partisan days are over. And uh, it's like an exception. And it might happen once in a decade or something, but it's like more of an exception of the rule. And uh, I remember, for example, if we're talking about uh, low-budget teams, we can remember uh, Jargis example. Um, they were competitive. They were a Final Four team. They were a playoff team with Sharas. But none of uh, young players were playing for Jargis. All the young players were bench warmers. They were getting all minutes all in Enkel and stuff yeah. like that. So that was just another example that is impossible Okay, Real Madrid example is different because you have so much talent that you can allow yourself to bring one very young, good prospect on the court because he won't ruin things for you. But for teams like Jalgiris... And if he breaks through to the Real Madrid team, he obviously is very good. good. Yeah. Uh, ending this discussion, I would say this. We talked about German basketball, but bubble. So, okay, let's stay there. Any show that Daniel ties signing lucrative deals in America. Do their German clubs profit from that? Nope. Schroeder played where? Braunschweig? Does Braunschweig get better because Dennis Schroeder is now a superstar and he signed some great contracts in the NBA? No. Does Bamberg get some profit from Daniel Theis signing contracts? Nope. So then, naturally, you have this question. Is it worth it? Or you can go for Darren Hilliard, Otello Hunter, and Deshaun Thomas to win you basketball games. Yeah, we have another. We had another question, uh, Pavelas Asiavichus. It was a good question, but it was about Jargiris, and probably we talked enough about Jargiris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, thanks, thanks, Pavelas. But let's, sorry for let's this. Let's do something else. Let's do something <laughs> else, uh, more entertaining and more joyful. Shako Gergobiani. Uh, he's asking, "Where is my Ottoman impression? Not good. Not good, guys. Not good. <laughs> That's all." Um, I'll wait till they get a good game, and then I will come back, and because I have something prepared, but I'm still waiting for them to have a. Oh, you re- have something really prepared, actually. I do. Wow! But I need them to win against a good team. I got. And it's just not happening right now, so I still need okay. to wait. For, so let's, so let, let's wait and see. They have Alba Berlin. It's not a good team, right? We're, it's not happening if they will win against Alba in Berlin. Well, they're too modern and too good, but <laughs> no. Okay, then we have Olympiakos, November 17. So uh, let's go okay. FS. We want that impression again. Uh, Donatas Lisauskas, Donatas Enritis, how you think your league looks like in five and ten years? Maybe you have additional information about plans, or you just have vision how your league should look like. Team numbers, popularity, fan bases, and so on. Well, I have no inside information. I don't know about you, but uh, I I think the way that your league is going, the end project should be 24 clubs, all of them with a license, no more sort of qualifications to Euro Cup or anything like that, just 24 clubs playing a full regular season. I am not sure if that is possible in Europe, but in my opinion, this is how the end product should look like. 24 stable clubs that they can plan their finances, their budget, because they know they will be playing in the Euro League. 
In this case, of course, they would have like 48, 46 games regular season. So probably they would not be playing in their national championships. These are difficult questions, but this is my imagination. Yeah. And Our if ideal model, if if speaking realistically, eighteen teams, it's stretched to the limits. If you add more, the schedule becomes unbearable. So mm-hmm. I don't know where they're going from from here. I I really don't know. I have no idea. I like I like the current format, except from the fact that they have to play domestic championships. Uh, but I like the current format. Maybe we would. Uh, I would like to see Partizan and Virtus uh, in the Euroleague. But at the same time, then I ha- uh, I would change the playoff rule. I in the uh, even right now in the eighteen teams tournaments to have only eight teams making the playoffs. I'm not sure. I would try yeah, to do yeah, something yeah. like four teams making the quarterfinals and then from fifth to twelfth, for example. Splitting? Yeah, playing, let's say, eight finals and stuff just to have more teams uh, competing for the playoffs. Ideally, if you build a league like this, I wouldn't want to see Final Four format, to be oh, no, honest. No, there's no way. Yeah, yeah. That's the I wouldn't want to see proper playoffs. Uh, but I, I, I believe I never said it in our English podcast. I've said it many times in, in Lithuanian podcasts that I was in. Um, I'm not happy with European basketball in general. No, no, that's what terrible. Are, what, what is this? Formula. I mean, we're now talking about Jalgiris. They're not in a good situation. Ritas is beating them. Maybe Ritas can win the Lithuanian league. So, so what? So what? So what? They Did they qualify? Did they get Champions some money league? from that? Yeah. They were still playing there. Jalgiris was to have their A license and nothing nothing changes. And I believe that they've gone too far away from the sporting principle. Yeah. It's never happening. It's in hard basketball. to start everything from scratch right now. They're trying to bring in some business element to yeah. the European basketball, even though they are like ten or twenty years too late. Mm-hmm. But they are doing it, and they are not go- backing off from it. So this is what it is. We, the reality is that uh, Euroleague is like gentlemen's club that you cannot enter mm-hmm. on some merit. You need to be chosen. For example, Zenf was chosen. Yeah, Alba was. Ch- uh, I'm sorry, not Alba. Uh, Asvel was chosen. Yeah, they decided that we need to have this club here, so we will have it. This is how it works, and I I'm not a fan of it to be honest. I'm a fan of Euroleague basketball because mm. the quality is amazing, and I enjoy it every week. But the whole principle, yeah, yeah. Ah, this is. I mean, just don't have any for a football fan. Let's say let's say you always see finding. In football, you always see teams fighting for for places to go to Europe to get the UEFA coefficient ratings, and and every place matters, every game matters. Now, what does the national championship even mean? What does it stand for? Other than it's it's for us, like we need to beat Ritas because we're Algiers. Mm. But the financial benefit or anything like that, it's not there. If they would be fighting for Euroleague places, who is the I mean, the champions go to EuroLeague. It will be different. Yeah, would, like before, there will be a lot of pressure. Like fifteen years ago, Jalgiris couldn't allow themselves to have yeah. a bad season because it could break them. Yeah, but now it's okay. Oh, we have a bad season. We signed these players. It didn't work out. Off oh, next season, we're starting all over again. And Ritas will still be there somewhere. I don't think it's good. Even I mean, the Spanish league is very competitive. They have their television money. It's a great league. But clubs like Unicaja or Valencia, they are stuck in between. Yeah, yeah. He's playing the Euro Cup, then for one year you play in Euro League. Now Unicaja went to the FIBA Champions League. It's not good. It's not healthy. It's messy in every category. Yeah, actually. it is messy. <laughs> yeah, I hear. You mentioned about the buyouts. It's 
terrible formula. Uh, also, we can have in consideration the schedule of FIBA national teams, then basketball cal- calendar and stuff like that. So messy and not Lionel, but some terrible stuff in European and basketball. But we, it is what it is. How coaches dots uh, like to say, look, it is what it is, and we enjoying Euroleague basketball, and that's it. We don't have any other alternatives. We're waiting, and we're staying positive. That's all, folks. Ritis Vishnauskas, Nadas Urbanas, always a pleasure. Thanks for watching us. See you follow, next week. Follow us on basketnews.com, uh, Basket News YouTube channel, and all the main audio platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, probably. Basically, all the main platforms. See you next week.